Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Kevin Mawai, the 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame offensive lineman, is brought to you by Compassion International. $38 a month, you can release a child from poverty. It's that simple through the great work being done by Compassion International. Listen, poverty is a vicious cycle, but it can be broken. And your opportunity for that $38 to sponsor a child can make that difference by releasing them from poverty, providing safe water, education, medical care, and even safe housing through your $38 a month. Over 66 years of experience Compassion International has, and over 2 million children are known, loved, and protected and have been released from poverty through Compassion International. Here's how you can make the difference. Go to the website, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Look at the website. Check it out. There's a bunch of children listed on there that are just waiting to be released from poverty. Pray about it, select the child, click the link, and you're in. $38 a month. Make that difference in a child's life. It's the greatest blessing you can give to another child, and that is the blessing of hope, releasing them from poverty. $38 a month. Go to Compassion.com slash Spectrum. Make a lasting impact and sponsor a child today. Today on the podcast, we welcome 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee Kevin Mawai to the podcast. Kevin was selected in the second round of the 1994 NFL Draft by Seattle, played his college ball at LSU, spent four seasons with the Seahawks from 1994 to 97, eight years with the Jets from 1998 to 2005, and then finished out in Tennessee, four seasons with the Titans from 2006 to 2009, a 16-year NFL career. He currently is an assistant coach at Arizona State as an offensive assistant analyst with head coach Herman Edwards, so he's coaching college football. Kevin was an eight-time Pro Bowler and named to the first-team All-Pro NFL squad seven times, and he's also named to the NFL 2000's All-Decade team. A former NFL Players Association president, from 2008 to 2012, Kevin also inducted into the LSU Hall of Fame, Athletic Hall of Fame in 2007. One of my favorite stats about Kevin was that he played eight times in a Pro Bowl, and it wasn't until after he had played five seasons before he was even selected to his first Pro Bowl. Six Pro Bowls of those eight came after the age of 30, and he played his final NFL game. How cool is this? In the Pro Bowl in February 2010, at the age of 39, he was still a Pro Bowler. That's why this guy is an all-time great and now a Pro Football Hall of Famer. And we're pleased to have him here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast as we talk faith, we talk Hall of Fame, and we talk some football. Lots of good stuff here. Take a listen to our conversation with Kevin Mawai, Pro Football Hall of Famer here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Jason. Appreciate you having me. It's good to talk to you, Kevin. 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee. Has that sunk in yet? Is that are you used to that yet? It, it no. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cool, and uh, they you know you get introduced as, as Pro Football Hall of Famer Kevin Mawai, and 
And that's really neat. But it just and, until the actual induction ceremony, I don't think it's really going to sink in yet. But uh, it's been a it's been a crazy month, and but it's such a blessing, and I'm looking forward to whatever it brings. Take us to the moment when you found out where you found out. Obviously, I believe you were in Atlanta um, when they made the decision and the, and the announcement came. But take us to the moments when you found out you were named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, so they make you, if you're a finalist, you got to wait in your hotel room. They tell you get in your room by a certain time, and it was supposed to be 2 o'clock. Well, I was in my room at one thirty, and uh, you know, so basically you just sit there and wait for however long. They say you should know by 3, but it could take as long as to 4 o'clock. And so from one thirty to about 4 o'clock, you're just in your room, and it's just my wife and I sitting in the room together, and you know, took a shower, got dressed, and just kind of waiting, playing video games or you know, playing playing games on the phone apps and and there's a moment where I just kind of turned the radio off and put my phone down and just kind of sat at the edge of my chair and I got they knocked so if you if you get a phone call somebody telling you that you hey it's not your time this is not the year or if you get a big knock that's Mr. Baker from the Hall of Fame coming in to personally congratulate you and telling you you got selected and so so I'm in the room by myself and my wife and uh just sat there for a moment of silence and the, I got this big boom and knock on the door. I looked at my wife. I jumped up out of my chair. I said, "We got in," and uh, just started crying. And uh, so it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. But uh, it was a long wait, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Have you thought about? I know it's only been a month, and you still got quite a few months to go. But have you thought about the speech? And are you starting to put some thoughts together on that yet? Yeah, I have. I mean, I'll have some thoughts like, oh, I think I need to say this and I'll write, I'll jot things down and I got a little notebook that as things come up or, you know, you write some stuff down and, you know, there's people for sure that you have to mention, but you can't mention everybody for fear that you're going to forget somebody. And so, so there's some thoughts that I put down and, um, you know, the points I want to make and, you know, and, and just a theme of what I want to talk about. And so, Hopefully, I'll be able to cobble it all together to make it some kind of coherent speech <laughs> in August when it's time, it's time to stand up there. I'm sure it'll be awesome. Kevin Mawai is our guest here on the podcast. Now, I know faith is important to you. Uh, it's important to this podcast, obviously. It's the center of what we're about. Take us to when that faith started to take shape for you, whether it was growing up or even throughout your career playing in the NFL. Yeah, well, for me, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in good with a good home, and my mom and dad, they've been married now 51 years, and and um, I grew up with three brothers, and so there's four boys in, in a military home. You know, we moved over, you know, lived in the United States, lived overseas, and finally settled in Louisiana, but... I grew up in a good family structure, but we didn't grow up in church. And so I carried on through high school and college. And then when I got to the pros and, um, you know, I was married going into the NFL. And after my second year in the league, going into my third year, you know, I had a tragic incident that took place in my life. My uh, my brother was killed in a car accident. And that kind of really shook my world. He was, uh, you know, we we're only a year apart from each other. He's my best friend. And best man at my wedding, the whole bit. We grew up in the same bedroom. We shared a room our entire life together, even roommates in college. And uh, he was killed in the car accident. And then uh, so that kind of caused me to really question, like, the meaning of life, if you will. And then uh, a month later, I found out my wife was pregnant, and she would you know, eventually give birth to our son. And so I really got thrown into this whirlwind of life and death and 
you know, who is this God that's so big that can take a life away, but then can turn around and bless you with a gift of your own life with your son. And it caused me to start questioning my purpose in life. And, um, so that was the beginning of the journey for me in my spiritual walk. Uh, I began reading the Bible on my own and taking notes and eventually started going to Bible study with teammates. And, you know, fast forward a year later, I got saved, gave my life to the Lord and my life has been radically changed ever since. Who are some of the mentors and teachers that helped you along early in your journey? We all need that in our lives, especially our spiritual lives, people who've helped us kind of walk with Christ. Who were some of those people for you? Yeah, when I, you know, I had some teammates on my team that encouraged me and, and really kind of led me into my faith. And Todd Peterson was a kicker at the Seattle Seahawks. Grant Williams is, is still a dear friend of mine today. He was a teammate as well. And um, on our team, our, we have team chaplain, Carl Payne. Um, you know, he kind of walked me through that process and, and helped disciple me early in my faith walk. And uh, we had a couple's Bible study leader by the name of Barb and Chuck Snyder. Um, they were like like our spiritual grandparents for the entire team. And, and they were just loved. They just loved on you and they shared the truth with you. And we had you know, couples Bible studies with them. And so those are my early mentors and, and really my, you know, my Christian godparents, if you will. Um, and then Dino Rizzo is the pastor who eventually led me to, to the Lord. He was a guy that married my wife and I, you know, three years prior to that. Uh, never had a relationship with him other than paying him for doing the wedding. And eventually we went to his church in Baton Rouge before I got saved. And this is after my journey began and I started questioning the Bible and uh, trying to find out what the truth really was. And it, I landed in his church at the time it was called Trinity Christian Center. It's now Healing Place Church of Baton Rouge. And uh, I, I met with him on two occasions. And the second time I went through a just a notebook full of questions I had after reading the Bible. And, and he's the one who challenged me and said, you know, you don't lack a knowledge of who Christ is. You lack faith in what God can do in your life. And, uh, asked if I'd accept the Lord as my savior. And I did. And that was June 24th, 1997. Wow. That's really awesome. Now, when you begin this walk, you're playing in the NFL at this point, you're already in the NFL. Yeah. So how does your, mindset or or does it not change but does it change because you're a follower of christ now and trying to go about still being this tough hard-nosed football player it 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 changed but it didn't so you know i was new to my faith and and things changed about me that there's an edge i had that kind of softened up a little bit and and so i'm going into my last training camp in Seattle, my fourth year and Howard Mudd was my offensive line coach at the time. And yeah. he knew of the decision I made and he pulled me aside. He goes, you know, and it's kind of funny because people who don't have a close relationship with Jesus talk in vague terms, like the big guy upstairs and, you know, the big G and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, he goes, if Jesus was on the field playing with you right now, would he expect you to be soft or be the same guy that I drafted three years ago? And I said, he'd probably expect me to be the same guy that you drafted three years ago. He goes, well, then that's the guy you need to be even in light of the change in your life. And, um, and he challenged me to spend a little time with Jim Zorn, who was on our staff at the time, a strong believer. And Jim Zorn kind of shared some stories with me. And that's why I really came to realize that, that I could be, 
the hard, tough, hard-nosed football player that I always was, but still understand that I'm doing it for the Lord, not for myself. And, and that's what I became. And um, it, football became more about the platform as opposed to what it could do for me. And, and so I, for the next, you know, gosh, I put another 12, 13 years after that. That's what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't a look at me platform. It was look at Jesus and what he can do and a person like me. And, uh, and so it's kind of funny because as a Christian, you know, I played hard and I played to the echo of the whistle <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and people took exception to it. And, I was called everything from a fake Christian to a dirty Christian and um, a cheap shotter. And, you know, I was even, you know, as high as number three on the dirtiest players in the NFL. And I remember that. And yeah. And, <laughs> but, you know, I took pride in it because it meant I was playing the game hard the way I knew it was supposed to be played. And so my response to all that was this was, you know, if you have a problem the way with the way I play the game, then take it up with God because I only play for an audience of one. Hmm. And as, as long as I'm within the rules and I'm playing the way the game's been called and been played, then I don't have a problem with it. And you know, that's something you got to take up with Him. And and that's the approach I took the rest of my career. Does that present a difficult sort of scenario for you to be a witness for Christ? Not in the sense of what you just said, but maybe to your teammates or even other players as you became more of a veteran presence and that guy who'd been around the league for a while going into the 2000s with the Jets and then the Titans to be able to witness to others, obviously not just forcing faith on anyone, but to be able to to be a witness for Christ and yet be a tough, hard-nosed guy. No, because it, it became a situation where, well, how can you play this way and you know, and you make everybody mad and all that kind of stuff because it's like God has called us to do everything with excellence, you know, and and whether I'm a parent or dad or husband or I'm cleaning up the, the yard or taking the trash out or playing football, I'm called to do everything with excellence. And I only know how to play football one way, and that's 100 miles an hour, and that's full tilt, and give with every effort I got, maximum effort all the time. And so that was my example. It's like, you want to know how to play the game. You want to know how to play to give glory to God. And you play with every fiber of being that you have. And, and that's how I played the game. And again, if people had, had took exception to it, I told them to, yeah. you know, go pray about it because I'm comfortable and, and God's comfortable with where I play this game. And so, you know, I came on a situation where your opponents hated you, but they want, they would love you on your team, but they hated playing against you. And, and even to the point where it's like, man, how can you be so nasty on the field? But you just, you go off the field, you like smile and you like hug up on everybody. And, you know, I said, because like football is not who I am. It's what I do. And I do it to the glory of God. Um, you know, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do with all of your hearts. You're doing for the Lord, not for man. And that's the way I did it. And, um, Again, I always tell people, it's like, I don't play to please you. I don't play to please the coaches. I play to please the Lord. And uh, that's the approach I took for every snap of practice in the game for the rest of my career. 
Did you have a moment later in your career where you saw you, in essence, in someone who didn't grow up in faith and, you know, was still in the middle of their NFL career, in the beginning of their NFL career, and were able to kind of pour into them a little bit? And you can name names if you want, and if you can't, that's cool too. But just an opportunity for you to see a guy changed for the good because of a relationship with the Lord. You know, I never saw a transformation in anybody like I had myself while in the locker room, but you become an agent of the word in that the way you live your life, the way you treat other people. And even sometimes just the way you, you, you might answer a question innocently in a locker room only to find out later on that it played a profound effect in somebody's life. And we had a teammate one time in, uh, when I was in New York, that it was the simplest question. It's like when, after God flooded the earth, how did, he repopulate the earth. And, you know, as a Christian, I think we have to, we have the responsibility to have to answer those kind of questions yeah. just to bring people in. And, you know, we're, some of us are called to plant the seed. Some of us are called to sow it. And, and some of us are called to reap it and water it. And, and that was an opportunity for me just to, to plant a seed. And so I went back home and I did the research on it and, and I wrote him a letter. And the next morning I put the letter and a Bible, brand new Bible in his locker. And that was it. I didn't say anything else. We never had a big discussion on it. And um, so you fast forward it almost 20 years later, I get a phone call um, from a guy. And he goes, I don't know if you remember me, but this is Ryan, um, uh, Ryan from the New York Jets. And he goes, uh, hey, I want to tell you what happened in my life. And so he shared a personal story with me and he goes, because of that little story you told me, you gave me a Bible. He goes, all I can remember is that. And he goes, I want you to know that I gave my life to the Lord. I'm now in ministry school. And now today he's the FCA director in the greater Dallas area. <laughs> and so you just don't know. And um, you treat everybody with respect and, and you just, you know, yeah, and there's a whole ad is that if there wasn't, you know, there'd be a whole lot more Christians if it wasn't for the Christians themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, so my goal is I didn't try to browbeat anybody or force my, my faith on anybody, but when given an opportunity to take advantage of it and give them a reason for the hope that I have. And um, it was, I think, a second Timothy. And, and that's what I did in that instance. And now he is a director of young men and young women across the Dallas area that play sports. And, and that those seed that I planted 25 years ago created a, something in him that caused him to want to go into ministry. I love that. I mean, that really is the essence of biblical obedience, right? I mean, I've been, I've been studying a lot about obedience lately just with the Lord, and that's really what it is. Sometimes it's just taking little steps in obeying God's tugging on your heart, you didn't go and try to answer every single question to this guy or go deep into You just gave him a Bible, wrote him a little letter, and then said you were there. And then obviously 20 years later, the harvest comes out of that with this man walking in the way that he does. Have you seen that in your life when you're obedient to God? What comes out of it like that? Oh, you know, it's it's amazing. Like You sit there and you question God, and everybody does. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. And you're like, man, I'm doing all this. You know, what is this for? It's like sometimes I feel like I'm walking in a desert and I'm going nowhere. And and it's only in hindsight. It's the perspective of hindsight. You look back, man, God was doing that for me then so that I can realize what I have now. And and it happens all the time. And I think sometimes we don't slow ourselves down enough to just – 
and counting your blessings is kind of the, what everybody says. But if you really look back, they thank God for unanswered prayers or, mm-hmm. or our, I see how that incident in my life changed me who I am today. The, the death of my brother is the biggest incident in my life. I look back on it and think, man, if not for that, I don't believe I'd be the man I am today. And, and so it's all about perspective and the benefit of hindsight. I think when you really understand how God truly worked in your life. Kevin Wise, our guest here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast, the Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, also a football analyst coach. I guess it's kind of a football analyst coaching job, if you will, yeah. Arizona State with Herman Edwards. And uh, you and I both have known Herm for a long time. You obviously played under him for a while. I worked with him for almost a decade and just one of the best people you'll ever meet. I always wonder what it was like to play under him, though, as a coach. What was he like as you were the player and he was the coach? What was that like? Well, he the the thing about Herm was he's a man of faith as well. Yeah. And he's a man of passion, and but he's a man of integrity. And so to be around a guy that has all that and then loves the game of football, it was it was it was neat to be around that. The guy that you worked with for 10 years – as he would call it, the worldwide leader in, in the media, yep. and and the guy that I coach, I played for for five years, is the same guy I coach under now. He's full of passion. He loves people. Um, he's full of energy. Um, he's still got a little DB in him. And for, for the football people, they, they know what that means, you know. Yep. But uh, he, he, I love the man. I love him as a man, as a mentor, and. Um, it's just really cool to see where he's at now because he gets to sew into young guys who are trying to live the dream that we've all lived and, and, uh, and guys buy in, it's a buy-in process. And, 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 uh, it takes guys that really trust the head coach to get a group of, you know, 18 to 22 year olds to buy in like they have. And, um, I'm glad that I'm coaching on his staff, especially in college football with him. Give me your favorite Herm story. Do you have one? Oh man, uh, there's so many different, and I think Herm is so funny because he's, he's a master of making words up and, and whether he purposely does so or not, I think, but he, it's, it's not really any stories. It's just the way he is because he gets so excited and he has that energy. And so uh, the word frustrated, not, not F R frustrated, but F L U. I don't even know if frustrated is a word. I don't know, but, <laughs> but he uses it all the time. He does not call wide receivers. wide. he calls them wide retrievers, like a, like a dog, but, <laughs> but it's just, it's just that kind of stuff that he's like that. And, you know, one story when he was his first year as a head coach in the New York jets, you know, the whole thing, he, he, he tries to get guys to be respectful of the game. And that means how you dress, how you act, be professional in everything you do. And so we're at practice one day and all these, you know, all the DBs and receivers got their jerseys all tucked up and, you know, their abs are all showing and, you know, like they're, you know, all that. And Herm's like, is y'all walking around like that's a big deal? Like, you know, and, and he pulls his shirt up and he coaches half the day with his shirt tucked up underneath him. And then, the dude's like 50 years old and he's got better abs than half our players do. And I'm like, you know, he's just that kind of guy and, and guys just love it because he's just real with them. And, and that's the guy that, that you knew and the guy I know. I wonder as you played, you went to Seattle. So you're the far, farthest West you could go Pacific Northwest. Then you go to the jets in the Northeast and then you kind of end up in Tennessee somewhere in the middle. 
What's a lesson that you learned maybe in each 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 spot you were in that really kind of honed you, whether it's as a player or as a man with Seattle and the Jets and then the Titans? Well, I think, you know, it's early when I moved to Seattle, I was a, my wife and I had been married for a year. And there's some lessons that we learned in that, especially for for us is. You know, sometimes when you get married, the best thing to do is move away from your family. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I think, you know, because it, it forces you and your wife to rely on each other and not always have the fallback of having mom or dad around. And that was a lesson I learned in life about my marriage. And um, the other part of it is accountability. Um, when I got saved, uh, having the Christian guys, the other ones I hung out with and hold me accountable, especially as a young believer, um, to understand, like, well, now this is what this is how you live your life according to what the gospel says, and this is what it should look like. And this is how you model it, and and to have people like Barb and Chuck Snyder and Carl Payne to sow into my life, and and so it's it's a reminder of being surrounded by the right kind of people, and then going to New York for me it was a big change. It was uh, I'd only been saved for a year. It's a a situation of being the little fish in a big pond. I went from being known as the, there's too many guys on my team in Seattle who, who knew who I was before I got saved, my BC days, if you will. Yeah. And and they always kind of try to pull you down to that level. And, and so change is good. And so when I went to New York, the change was good. I went from being, well, I remember what you did last year to, I was a guy helping set up Bible studies and team events and stuff like that. And, and, and so now I became, you know, a core Christian guy on the team and, and I grew in my faith as a lead, as a Christian leader, not just a football leader, but as a man of faith and, and the change was good. And sometimes change is the best thing for you to get out of a situation and put you somewhere that you're going to grow, that you're going to become somebody who God wants you to be, not who people who knew you before want you to remain. And that was a big lesson for me there. And, and then I struggled there, too, because that's where the whole dirty Christian, fake Christian, that stuff started happening with opponents. And it really forced me. I mean, I, I lived in the book of James for like a year, just talking about your mouth and your tongue and how you carry yourself. And yeah. and it really forced me to understand who I was as a Christian man, that I could be the tough, hard-nosed, ugly football player, but still be a man of faith. And and so I, I learned how to avoid the noise and, and um, understand that you're always going to have critics. But at the end of the day, what really matters is your relationship with Christ and what God thinks about you, not what everybody else thinks about you. Mm. And then we moved to, you know, first, then I got cut and we moved down to Tennessee. And and for me, by then I was a full blown believer, it's been 12 years. Um, and I was on the back end of my career. And, and now with more of a mentor role, instead of learning and being held accountable, now I'm the guy holding guys accountable and teaching guys how you can be a professional football player and a man of faith at the same time and what that looks like being a man of the community. And, and, uh, you know, I got more plugged into outside the football realm as far as church was concerned into men's groups and speaking and Bible studies and things like that became more of a leader. And, and in that process, you learn that sometimes you're not ready to get up there right away, but God's got to grow you to a situation where he's comfortable with using you in ways that you never thought possible. And, and so that's what kind of, you know, that was kind of my journey from a, a faith and football perspective on what I learned along those three different stops. 
couple more questions here. Two more questions here with Kevin Mawai on the Sports Spectrum podcast. I want to ask a football question, and then we'll close it with a faith question. I always thought it was interesting as I was doing my research, Kev, with your career, and obviously when following it and, and working in media during your career. You played five seasons before you ever made your first Pro Bowl. Then you ended up going to eight of them, including six of them after the age of 30, which is pretty rare. Uh, your final game was actually played in the Pro Bowl in February 2010. <laughs> what was it about for you that you saw maybe as your level of play got better, I guess, based upon the Pro Bowls? Maybe it didn't, but based upon the Pro Bowls that helped you remain affected so much later into your career when others are in that decline period? Yeah, I think one, the first thing was for me was knowing I believed in myself when other people didn't. And, that, and that's what caused me to go to the New York Jets. I knew the player that I was, and I knew what I was capable of in a physical standpoint, that a team that I was at and I didn't want to leave didn't have that same belief in me. And so I wanted to be around people who believed in what I was capable of doing. And I was fortunate that Bill Parcell signed me to my contract. And and I remember being on my free agent visit then that I told Mike Pio, uh, Mike Tannenbaum, Scott Pioli, I said, who's the last hall, who's the last Pro Bowl offensive lineman that the Jets have had? Hmm. And they couldn't name anybody. I said, well, I'm going to be your next one. I said, I know I'm going to be the next one. A year later, I was named a Pro Bowler. And and so that was one thing that I had a better, I had a stronger belief in me than the other people did. And I, I bet on myself. And then, uh, you know, for me, it was, it goes back to being excellent in everything you do. Football for me was a passion. It's something I love to do. No, I never wanted to do anything else. There was another, well, if I don't become a football player, I'm going to be this. It was, I'm going to be a football player. That's just the way I was. Yeah. And so whatever that looked like, and I had great strength coaches and guys that pushed me and stuff like that. But I never wanted to own a business because my business was me. And that meant the weight room. That meant the off season. That meant doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. And so I prided myself in the weight room. Um, I prided myself in the weight room. And I prided myself on, on how I prepared for the season, how I took care of my body. And, and that's where I excelled in New York. And I kept those same things going on in Tennessee. Uh, I knew that I still had good years left in me. I was coming off a, a, a catastrophic elbow injury uh, my last year in New York. But I knew if I could overcome that injury that I could still play at the level that I did before I left there. And that's what happened. And um, I, it goes back to your weight room taking care of yourself. And I prided myself in year 16 that I still squatted heavy in the weight room on Mondays. And I still did hang cleans and, and power cleans heavy on Thursdays during the season. And, um, and guys still can't believe that I did that. And I said, well, you want to play in the NFL a long time. That's where I live. You know, you got to live in the weight room and take care of your body. And I'd see guys go out late at night on, you know, in the middle of the week and they couldn't understand why they didn't have the dividends or the gains in their careers that I did. It's like, I mean, you can't run with, you know, buzzards at night and soar like an eagle in the morning, you know, so that mentality and, and that's kind of the approach I took. Well, I mean, and, and it reaped the benefits for going for you going into the pro football hall of fame this year, which is really cool. Kevin, final question for you. We asked this to all of our guests here on this podcast. Uh, it's an easy question, sometimes not an easy answer, but in this season of life right now, where you are, as we tape this in March, 2019 getting ready to go into the pro football hall of fame working with arizona state 
so much good things happening happening in your life. What is God teaching you right now? What are you learning from the Lord in this season of life? Um, I think for one is humility. Um, and that's something that's hard to do, especially in the professional football, in the fo- profession of football, because there's so much ego and bravado and everybody trying to put on airs about how great they are. And I'm, I just got honored with the greatest football accomplishment ever by being named as a Hall of Famer. And with that comes a lot of responsibility, but I can puff my chest up anywhere I want to now. And, but God has called us to be, have a humble spirit. And so learning how to be, have humility in these situations is, it's not, it's not tough, but you just got to be aware you know, and, and so humility is one of them. And another thing is just to continue to understand the platform that I've been given. And, and I like to teach about the difference between a platform and a pedestal and every accolade, every award, every pro bowl, I could either choose to, to create a taller platform, a taller pedestal for myself to sit myself upon, or I just spread those bricks out and make a larger platform for me to reach other people. And, and so I continue to learn that every time I get a blessing like this, it's an opportunity to have a greater platform to reach more people and to share my story. And when they ask me, what does it take to be a Hall of Famer? The first thing I can direct them to is of faith in Jesus Christ. And, um, and that's not an easy thing because sometimes you can get stuck on yourself. And, and the reality of it is it's never been about ourselves. no matter what we do. It's about the influence that we have on others. And and I'm daily reminded of that, even though everybody wants to tell me how great I am. I got to continue to remember, remind them that's not because of me. It's because of him. And, uh, and that's kind of, that's where I'm at right now. Um, you know, I, I want to use the platform of the pro football hall of fame to share the gospel with others to, I truly believe that part of my passion and part of my purpose in my life is to train men to be the men God has called them to be, not the one that the world's called them to be. And you'll have the greatest platform you could imagine at the Pro Football Hall of Fame to be able to point others to Christ. Looking forward to seeing that speech and just honored to be able to talk to you, Kevin. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thanks for having me, Jason. Anytime. I greatly appreciate it. And many thanks to Kevin Mawai, the 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, for spending a few minutes with us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter. He is at Kevin Mawai, K-E-V-I-N-M-A-W-A-E on Twitter. Send him a tweet. Let him know that you heard his story, his journey of faith and football here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Thanks to Kevin and thanks to Compassion International for sponsoring this podcast and partnering with us here at Sports Spectrum. Your chance to release a child from poverty, one of the greatest blessings we can get out of our lives is when we go and serve and help others. And Compassion International provides that opportunity, releasing a child from poverty. Go to the website, compassion.com slash sports spectrum. For $38 a month, you can provide food, education, medical care, and vocational training, all done all done in Jesus' name. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. As always, you can reach us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sports underscore Spectrum. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where every podcast is there, as well as a ton of video content that you can use and share and watch. 
And of course, all of our content can be found at sportspectrum.com. Man, bookmark that website and make it a daily place to check out uh, on your website journeys throughout the day because we have a daily devotional every morning at 6 a.m. and articles all day long on the intersection of sports and faith. Sportspectrum.com. Make that a destination for you on your digital platforms, your phone, your iPad, your laptop, whatever it is, and read about Jesus impacting the lives of others through the lens of sports. Great stuff there. Sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.